Welcome to the Evolution 2.0 podcast, where we explore the intersection of art, technology, business, biology, and spirituality. Here, you'll discover new trends in evolution that are changing the way we think about everything. This is your host, Perry Marshall, author of Evolution 2.0, 80-20 Sales and Marketing, and guides to Ethernet, Google, and Facebook. I'm founder of the Evolution 2.0 Prize, a quest for the missing link between Earth science, the information age, and life itself. Let's join the conversation now. All right. Good day, everybody. It's Bob Regnerus with Feed Stories. I am here with my friend, fellow co-author, mentor, business partner, Perry Marshall. How you doing, my friend? Very good. Glad to be talking to you this morning. So, yeah, it's always good to get together, isn't it? Excellent. So topic today is uh, the Influential Writing Retreat, which uh, I had the opportunity to be a fly on the wall for a couple days. And I'd have to say it was unlike most Planet Perry events I've ever been to. So I think it's going to be pretty interesting conversation for people to eavesdrop on today. So just for those who weren't aware, maybe they didn't see it, like what was the Influential Writing Retreat? It was a... $12,000, 12-person, three-day, not horseshoe tables in a mastermind room, not little dishes of candy and a notepad and a hotel pen, a much more free-flowing, relaxed group interaction about how do you be influential? And I don't mean be a YouTube influencer or a TikTok <laughs> influencer or a Facebook or a podcaster, not necessarily about that and not marketing, but at the same time, using the knowledge of marketing and business, which I think is a very, very essential part of changing the world in positive ways. But it was for people who knew, know in their bones that they've been put on the earth to do something very important. And it's kind of like, you didn't choose it, it chose you and it's burning in your bones and you need to do this and you know you need to do this and you don't know how you're gonna pull it off. And this is me. I have been spending a double digit percentage of my life doing science projects, like science research stuff for 15 years. And I'm now close to 50% of my time is spent uh, predominantly working on cures for cancer. And yeah, just, you know, just a hobby, like building speakers, curing cancer, right? It's all of the same ilk. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and like, what right does a guy with an electrical engineering degree from the University of Nebraska who mostly hangs out with off-the-grid serial entrepreneur, crazy marketing-type people, what business does a guy like that have go over, you know, I'm spending two and a half days at Oxford University next week. Why on earth would I be doing that? Right. Well, because I knew I needed to, I, it, it was an imperative. In fact, if you want to call it, for many people, a divine imperative, then you should call it that. Yeah. And so that was the context. And we put it together. We shot the videos 
we wrote the sales copy, hey, let's do this. What I was not prepared for was what actually happened when everybody showed up. I let's, mean, I had my plan. Yeah, let's leave that there as a little bit of a juicy hook, all right? Okay. So you kind of mentioned this, like, divine appointment, like, big ideas that chose you, you didn't choose it. Would it be accurate to say that as you and I looked around the room, that nobody there looked like they had the capabilities or like there was nothing extraordinary about anybody in that room from the first glance? Would that be accurate? Yes. And I also want to remind you that if you were invited to a conference room or a dinner and Martin Luther King, Martin Luther, Isaac Newton, Socrates, Marie Curie, and Winston Churchill, and a bunch of other people like Thomas Edison, if you didn't know who they were, you wouldn't be able to tell that, that they were like going to be the top 100 most influential people in the history of the world. You would not know that. Unassuming completely natural, possibly even disheveled, right? Yeah, like Beethoven looked like a tramp. He was arrested (laughs) for vagrancy somewhere because he didn't dress right, didn't look right. I I understand like his house was a mess and he might have been a hoarder. Okay, so like, you know, some unassuming, some may have been very assuming, but, you know, we have these fictitious ideas about people that aren't, necessarily reality yeah and and i go down this line of questioning not to disparage anybody in the room i think anyone who is there i think the overarching quality was that there was this level of humility that was almost palatable like everyone there felt like the calling they had was so heavy that it was almost unworthy of them is that accurate like there was just this heaviness and humility about people but yet they are trying to solve huge problems in the world. I, I was struck by that personally. Uh, yes. In fact, let's switch a different word. Instead of heaviness, let me use the word weight. Okay. The first thing I did was, you know, I had my giant post-it notes that you rip off and stick on the wall. And I had everybody, I started with me and then go around the room I want you to tell everybody without editing and without being small and without being modest, what is it that you actually intend to do? Put it up there. Yeah. And everybody put it up there and it was astonishing. And it was not easy for any of them to come out and do that because it sounds ridiculous Perry, I I don't think there has been a place for these individuals to really voice these things before. And I think that was the hardest thing for them is like, how do you sit with something? I mean, uh, we're taking you, for example, like you have a platform and a confidence and a relationship with your with Planet Perry where you can like talk about curing cancer. But can you imagine, you know, somebody coming in and saying, like, I intend to like basically get rid of the IRS, like, that's right. pretty audacious. Where are you going to say that? You know, we had somebody there who's going to make 
prayer like a common thing in most boardrooms. You know, somebody – just idea after idea, right? And I'm not sure these people outside of their own private relationships have ever kind of publicly stated some of these big, bodacious things that are just like – oozing out from their insides and, and, and are just have been waiting to get out. I, I think the, I think the environment you created, I think was unsettling for a lot of people to like be like bodacious and like declare this idea out loud. It was an amazing exercise. Well, it was also an exercise in authenticity. Like nobody was just making this up so that they would look good in front of the group. There was none of that going on. And I'd be surprised if hardly any of them had ever put all that out there in front of a room full of people. But that just needed to happen. And then, you know, I showed up with my notes. The thing just took on a life of its own and it went where it wanted to go. Uh, And I could have never possibly predicted how it was just going to roll. That was definitely, other than the setting, I mean, the setting you talked about, people kind of have an expectation of like a conference. All right, we know how a Planet Perry conference is. It's, we're probably sitting around round tables and, you know, there's speakers up there and we're kind of in school or they're used to city tours, round table, horseshoe. This was much more relaxed. We kind of sat in a circle. They were, it's comfortable seating. People had blankets. There was a fire going. We were at a hotel, but we were in a hotel that's kind of surrounded by nature. So I think the setting you put out for them kind of put people at ease. It was an interesting setting, but it's not something that Planet Perry does. And I think the thing that I was struck by was that this group was not there to hear lecture. I think what the main thing I saw was that this group was there to have you help them facilitate and sit with really, really big ideas. Talk a little bit about that. Like, what was that like for you to sit with this group and just ponder and hammer big ideas? So I would even adjust the big ideas part. I would adjust a little bit to big callings and things that require big authority. You can go to lots of places to discuss big ideas. You can sit on your computer and watch TED Talks about big ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, TED is very pretentious and it's very politically correct. And... Um, nobody in TED is going to disrupt the culture. They're only going to disrupt technology or introduce a new medical thing, but they're not going to shake up the establishment because TED is the establishment. This was very different. This was everybody in the room. Well, I was struck by how much commonalities there were that I never called out or asked for before we started. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that everybody had in common was they're attacking what you could call wicked problems. In other words, mm-hmm. problems for which nobody can currently envision any kind of an easy solution for. Yeah. Like problems that, okay, like... <laughs> Like death and taxes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that would be the extreme yeah. version of, of wicked problems. But, you know, cancer is a wicked problem. I mean, how long have we been working on that? And how many billions of dollars have been spent on that? 
And one of my beliefs is that the only solution to wicked problems is new forms of culture. And so this was really a discussion about how to create new cultures and how to create mass movements. But it was aligned with the knowledge and the tools of 21st century business and technology. There are lots of people who want to save the world, want to fix the world. There's lots of doctors and missionaries and pastors and visionaries and people with really great ideas and really great intentions, but they don't have the ability to influence or really genuinely understand the forces that make business work, that make society work. I wanted to take that sense of calling and mission and combine it with the Wolverine savvy entrepreneurial fire. I've talked for years about how there's two kinds of people in the world. There's poodles and Wolverines and poodles. They watch the birds and the squirrels through the sliding glass window and they watch Seinfeld with the kids on the couch and they eat their food bowl when somebody gives them food and they're nice. Okay. And Wolverines live in the wild and they have a 20 mile territory and they eat what they kill and they're ferocious and they scare most people and most people don't really want to see them. Um, And they live wild and free and they live in all of the danger. Like they don't have the comfort of the three bedroom condo that they live in, you know, where somebody brings them dog food every day. And, you know, most people like 95% of the people in the world are poodles and we probably need lots of poodles for the world to work the way it works. And that's fine. But then you need the Wolverines and, um, you know, no, for the most part, nobody's really celebrating the Wolverines. There's a few billionaires like Bezos. I mean, he's a Wolverine. That's absolutely for sure. Right. And, you know, and there are certain Wolverines that the world sort of bows to because, you know, either out of awe or because they run the world. Okay. But the smaller Wolverines, um, like, You know, I always say you can't go to your church picnic and complain about your $400,000 tax bill. And you can't complain about, you know, Edna, the employee who's stealing, you know, like you can't really talk to most people about that kind of stuff. And and so it's a very unique stir fry to bring those elements together. What called you or what drove you to kind of put the Wolverines together? Because typically the Wolverines are kind of loners, right? They're out doing their thing. What kind of drove you to put this together and put the Wolverines in the same room? Well, being a consultant and a leader and an author and coaching and mentoring thousands of entrepreneurs, I think the entrepreneur life is lonely. Most entrepreneurs have relatively few people who understand them who can adequately appreciate accomplishments, especially yep. the subtlety of like the nuance that it takes to make certain things happen. And 
in this case, you know, I did an influential writing event about eight years ago, but it, it turned the two couldn't have possibly been more different. <laughs> I have grown personally a lot in the eight years since the previous one. And so like there was a, a similar original seed of an idea, but the 2013 version was what I understood at that time for the audience that I had at that time. And that was very much more of a marketing kind of an event. This was, you know, you've heard people say, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Hmm. Um, the question that this was oriented around was what would be worth doing even if it did fail? I think that is the litmus test for is what you're doing really, really genuinely important. And so everybody in the room was doing something that they feel is so essential. And the nice part about doing something like that is no matter how things are going, bad, good, or indifferent, you do get out of bed with a very urgent sense of purpose. And there's something very reassuring about if you know that you know that you know that you're doing what you're supposed to do, even if it appears impossible, there's something reassuring and comforting about that. You're like, well, I am going to keep chiseling away at this in somehow, some way, the forces are going to come together so that the, this can work. So was it about, I mean, again, then putting these people together, is it meant to inspire them? Is it meant to educate them? Like, what was your intention for doing? Why would you want to put them together? It was to commission them. All right. I would agree with that. We needed to create an environment where everyone there left with a sense of having fully been given permission and marching orders to go do this thing, to do it a much bigger level, to step up and really be the boss. So I'll give you an example. One of the people in the room was Scott Shane. And Scott Shane's mission is to transform the mortgage industry so that it's not the den of thieves that it currently is right now into something that's actually virtuous and good. Now, I don't think anybody can appreciate how much more prosperous and profitable that industry would be when Scott achieves his vision. But for him personally, this has been burning in his bones for well over a decade, and he's been working on this very hard. And he's been making steady, admirable progress. And he is now surrounded by incredibly talented people, including yourself, because you're a partner yeah. in that business, Bob. But before that, he was always questioning whether he's re the real leader. Hmm. After the event, that is no longer a question in his mind because there was a transformation that occurred. And it's really difficult to describe that transformation because 
I think this was something most people haven't experienced before. Right. It was a spiritual experience. It wasn't just a seminar. In fact, it wasn't a seminar. But wow. uh, think of it as a seminar would be a, a miscategorization. So Scott came out with this head of steam, and it wasn't the temporary motivation of a seminar. I've had that a million times. It was a fundamental roadblock has been removed, and he's got a superhighway in front of him. And when I say superhighway, I don't mean there's no obstacles or anything like that. I mean his own internal question and doubt and resistance about whether this is really my mantle was removed. It almost felt, and obviously I spent a lot of time with Scott kind of getting his feedback, and I'm sure I'll be talking to others as part of this as we're trying to kind of even capture what happened. It's almost like there was a new operating system installed. When you first buy a new computer or you put, put a new version of an operating system in, it, it's clean, it's fast, it's there's clarity, there's no junk, there's a renewed sense of purpose, the interface looks different. It was strange and wonderful from the standpoint of this weight that you talked about suddenly turned into something positive because a lot of the folks in the room were struggling and struggling is a strange term, but just working on this maybe in isolation or in very small areas. Wrestling. Wrestling. That's a good term. And when you're wrestling with yourself, you've got your ego and you've got voices and head trash and life experience and voices that are just kind of knocking you down. And this whole idea of permission, it's like, it's very powerful. It's almost like a father, right? You're almost kind of like, presenting a father figure to them that kind of gave them the father's blessing, you know, to go out in the world and do it. Like, you can do it, son. You could do it, daughter. It had very much that vibe. And while you can't physically see the transformation, a lot of the transformation was in the gut, it was in the head, but it manifested itself in their demeanor. You could see their energy change, their countenance change. Like, that was what was amazing to me because a lot of the stuff happening on the inside was actually visible on the outside. That was striking to me. Yes, it, it was. And I think everything that was said in the whole meeting was important. Like there was this sense of weight. And I mean by everybody. Yeah. So we we were extremely deliberate about who was in the room, who was not in the room. And we talked to people before they were brought on into the course and we had an application process and yeah, it took a very special chemistry. And so I just know that when you feel the divine imperative and you have been given the permission and when you have the commercial and communication and technological tools and the knowledge of how those tools work, and then you're given like this extra thing, which is really uh, a sense of authority, then that's when things can really move. And uh, so one of the, people in the room was Ron Wilder and Ron does a very particular kind of training for CEOs. Good way to put it. 
<laughs> and yeah, it's really interesting what he does. And so he found himself when talking to clients being very, very bold, very assertive, and not the least bit doubtful about, okay, we could play patty cake for the next year like most people do, or we could just get to the bottom right now. Are you up for it? It's going to be scary. And they would sense his energy. They could yeah. sense that there was, it was coming from a very real place and they would respond to it and say, yes, I'm in. And I want to be very clear. There is a gazillion books and courses and seminars and trainings that will teach you some Kung Fu technique or move or verbal jujitsu. And this is just everywhere. It almost never comes from a real place. Huh. it's almost always just like so much surface level. And I'm not saying it doesn't work, right? but very often does. That's actually the problem a lot of the times. You know, my dear friend, Tom Hubyar, who died 10 years ago, he was a NLP practitioner. He said, Perry, people come out of them trances. <laughs> okay. And he's like, what, what he was saying is, oh, there's lots of people that know how to get a bunch of people in a room and sort of hypnotize them into doing something. But the problem is like three hours, three days or three weeks later, they kind of wake up and they're like, what was that? Hmm. How did I get myself into this? And then most things are harder to get out of than they are to get into. And then they're down some road that they shouldn't even been going down. And I just was not interested in having any of that. And so I think that's really what was different here. We didn't do any of that weird Kung Fu, NLP, persuasion, hypnosis, verbal, slate of hand. What, you know, we just didn't do that. So earlier you mentioned you kind of came in with some expectations. You came in with, I don't want to call it an agenda, but you kind of had a plan and things like that. And you said it, completely it was almost completely different than what you expected so talk a little bit about what you expected and then get into what actually happened that surprised you so i came in with a 17 page outline of course i i knew i would only use a third of it right but i was certainly over prepared and we started going and you know by the middle of the second day we were completely off of the original plan but the thing is, th this did not bother me in the slightest because I could sense that a larger organism had been formed and it was now going where it needed to go. And I was just along for the ride and I was just making little slight adjustments to kind of keep things pointed in the right direction. And so I told stories I've never told in public before. Yeah. We went places emotionally that nobody had ever been before. If I take a step back, there's like two funny things. One is I said, I'm not doing this again. And the last time I even you know, did anything remotely like it was eight years ago. And then like the weird juxtaposition is that 
we got done with it and we're like, this is now a permanent thing. Like this is now who Planet Perry is. And I want to explain what I mean by that. I don't mean that we're going to stop teaching, doing any of the marketing, basic business marketing, blocking and tackling that we've always done. That's just going to keep going. We just introduced the TikTok course, okay? <laughs> like, I don't know how you could get any further from this than TikTok, <laughs> okay? Because it's a completely different level of influence, okay? Yeah. yeah. Like, yes, you could put the two together, and you, and one of our people could become a major TikTok influencer. Right. That's right. fine. But, like, the tools and the techniques and the clicks and the videos, like, that's a whole other aspect, that we were not interested in all, but, yeah. but here's, what I, here's what I mean. There are lots of purpose-driven entrepreneurs in the world and mission-driven entrepreneurs in the world. And, you know, there's the start with why kind of stuff, but most of that is very, very surface level. And I think what we, we hit a new level of deep, authentic, Martin Luther King level in some cases for some people. Huh. How is the world going to be different in 20 or 30, 50 or 100 or 300 years from now because you did what you were supposed to do and it included your toolbox of business things that you know how to do. I think people un- underappreciate the role of business acumen in shaping the world. The reason Thomas Edison was so successful, 50% of it was he was a good businessman. Yes, 50% of it, he was a genius and he figured out that tungsten is a good material to make a light bulb and the film projector and the phonograph. Okay, all that obviously very important, but nobody would know who he is if he wasn't a good marketer, a good salesman, a good promoter, a good businessman, and willing to own his authority and have the courage to talk to presidents and Henry Ford and, and titans of industry and banking and all of that. In what way does it serve the world for you to be small and modest and understated and polite and obey the rules and conform. No, you're going to have to break some rules and you're going to piss some people off. Believe me, I have pissed some people off in my science efforts and I'm going to piss more people off. And there is a cost to that. You don't just sachet into the world and everybody opens the doors for you and oh we would love for you to reform the banking industry we would love for you to reform the mortgage industry we would love for you to call us out on our shit no that doesn't happen no and you have to be shrewd you have to be very wise as serpents and gentle as doves and as cunning as the mafia and as innocent, like all of those things. I would say, too, just thinking about the room and see if I can kind of make this point. Everyone in that room has already been on a long journey. Mm-hmm. And I, I and I don't think that's accidental. Like we didn't have anybody in there who was an upstart that is going to come in. I think 
everybody is um kind of virtually looking around the room has had quite a long journey and i'm thinking about you specifically for this purpose you know is it any accident that an electrical engineer got into the world of business and entrepreneurship and then suddenly got involved in science and is now trying to cure cancer i think when you talk about disrupting something it always has to come from the outside yes because an, yeah. organiza an organization, an organism is not going to change itself from the inside. It's going to be an outside influence that kind of, could I say, catches it by surprise and comes out of left field. It's deeply ironic because on one hand, it's like, how on earth did an electrical engineer who was an Amway like end up at the, like the Royal Society in Great Britain and starting a cancer society? On the But there's also... The only way that this could even work is I needed the electrical engineering. I needed the, you know, bumps and bruises as being an Amway distributor. I needed the business stuff. I needed the marketing stuff. I converted a, like the $10 million prize. What I really did, I converted a scientific and philosophical problem into an engineering business proposition. Okay, solve the mystery of life, collect $10 million. Don't solve the mystery of life, can't pretend that you even deserve the $10 million. Okay, we're gonna cut through the BS with a business and engineering proposition that flows perfectly, naturally, logically from the science, and we're going to construct proof that way. This was a stir fry of like, you know, you spend 10 years trying to figure out how am I going to solve this problem? And you go into all of these different little corners of the world and you cobble and piece together. I need, a, oh, I need that one little thing right over there that I stole from that strange little industry and I bring it in. Okay. And nobody who plays by the normal rules is ever going to do this. No college professor would have ever done this, right? even though they could have, would have, should have, whatever, right? And then I find, I come to find out, it took me a long time to figure this out. But what I figured out was the rank and file people in science are kind of scared of me. Yes. And that's they're all scared all the time because their careers and their, and their funding and their labs and everything is very fragile, okay? Right. And they just, like, have to do these certain things. I kind of expected when I put this out there, like, that the whole world was going to, like, take notice and say, wow, like, that's super important. You're working on, like, the most important questions in the history of science. No, it didn't, because I'm also calling out the elephant in the room, and I'm also pointing out that the emperor has no clothes. And so they don't like that, but here's what I found. There's a group of people in science, in, in academia, in research, in all that world, in medicine, who love what I'm doing. They're, they they're your it. biggest champions. They are my biggest champions, and they are the people who are playing to win as opposed to the people who are playing not to lose. Right. When you build a community, when you tap into, partake of, are part of a culture 
of people who are playing to win. And then you build a culture of people who are playing to win. You wake up every morning, you go, okay, it may be hard. It may be ridiculous. It may be impossible. It may be a bitch, but I love these people that are around me and I'll do anything for them. And we are going to run through walls together. Well, these band of champions that you have behind you, you hold in highest esteem. Mm -hmm. Like they are world renowned scientists and they lacked the skill set that you have, <laughs> which right. is the marketing. They look at you and go, I can't believe what Perry's able to do, right? They're, they're in awe of that particular skill that you brought to the table, but they respect you almost as an equal because you've also put the work in in their discipline. Yes. And that's a unique thing. And I, and I don't want to make this all about you. What I want to take it back to is everybody in that room. So if we talk about Scott, he wouldn't mind us talking about him. So Scott's going to change the mortgage industry. All right. You and I know that there are hundreds, if not thousands of people in that industry that are just waiting for somebody to change it. They know that this, the way it works absolutely sucks. They know it's biased against, you know, millions of people that it's barrier to people's home, you know, getting homes. And, you know, if we could change the mortgage industry, we might be able to solve systematic racism, right? There's deeper things there. And there are people that are just waiting for a guy like Scott to come in and disrupt the industry and put a better way out. And that goes for anyone in that room that is trying to change different things. But it takes somebody of a certain discipline and skill set to kind of like realize like, oh, I can take this over here, I can take this over here, I can put that together and I could do something new. And then if you could prove that you're actually the one that's going to defeat <laughs> Grendel's mother, you're going to have a horde of champions behind you that are going to support you and bring you forward. But you got to prove yourself first. There's a lot of battles you got to fight along the way to get to that place. Yes. People in all of these industries are yearning for a liberator to show up all of yeah. them right okay so the oncologists in cancer treatment all know they all every one of them know the system is completely jacked up okay and we can go through and it's a business right right like you can't solve a systemic, institutional, economic, business problem just with science. You can cure cancer, but that's the easy part. The system is the hard part. But again, people are, the mortgage people are yearning for a solution. And all the people that are scared of the IRS are yearning for a solution. And I can go around the room. Yeah. To every single per like the so we have we uh, Elizabeth who is a therapist mm. she wants to bring a completely different system of ethics into therapy. The patients want it and need it. The therapists want it and need it. But everybody is afraid to talk about it, right? Right, because you know the big foot might come and stomp on them, right? So it takes a lot of courage, but it's like. You have no idea how much gratitude and appreciation will be manifested when 
some of these strongholds get taken out. And you have no idea the impact on humanity. And so there was the sense of, I need to create an alliance of people who think this way. And so they're no longer alone. Right. And I think we'd be remiss to not touch on, you, you talked about people's transformation from a spiritual perspective. A lot of people experience memos from the head office, either calls or events. I think the one thing that was unique here, obviously uh, Vivian, you know, who a lot of people know was there and uh, you had Jordan come in and Julie was there. But I think one of the things that happened was that outside of kind of the normal memos, there was deep memos where these individuals felt like all the powers of the head office <laughs> were behind them. So you, you as kind of the father figure got to give them permission. But I think the bigger thing was that they heard things from the head office that finally validated and freed and unlocked things in them that they haven't had before. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So Planet Perry is a demilitarized zone among many things that it is. It's a demilitarized zone like the strip of land between North and South Korea where nobody gets to shoot at anybody for spiritual exploration. It is a place where people can spiritually explore safely. So everybody knows I'm a Christian. That's not even slightly a secret. I'm pretty open about that. But I make space for people of, you know, whatever their belief about, you know, the bigger questions and where it all comes from. If you are okay with the idea that a purpose can be given to you from above and that you can listen to that, understand that, harmonize it, resonate with it and roll with it and like carry out that divine imperative. If you're good with that, then we're going to facilitate you hearing the muse right. as clearly as we know how. And we are going to put at your disposal people whose ability to tune into that, to listen to the muse, people with prophetic gifts and unctions can really speak into what you're doing and draw it out and who can see the destiny leaping out of you that you always know is there, but that right. most of the time is not recognized and suppressed and, right. you know, shoved over into the corner. And that was a huge part of the experience. I, an absolutely essential right. foundational aspect was having this ingredient. And the room was not, wasn't a uniquely Christian room. No. There was Jewish people, there was Taoists, there was people who would be considered modern spiritual people. You created a, an environment, you facilitated an environment where there was common ground. And also, you know, you and I were kind of joking the day after, there was some R-rated language <laughs> quite a few times, yeah. right? Yeah. Be, so it's a, 
no, there was no editing going on. There was no editing. There was, and everybody was accepting. So if you felt led to share something and you're dropping f bombs, there's nobody blinking their eyes or tisking. Like <laughs> you could be, you could be praying for somebody on one end, and then somebody could be just slapping their heart on the table and telling them how angry you are. Like. I love the raw realness of that. That to me was just absolutely invigorating. So we got a couple of minutes left, Perry. You had mentioned before, like, oh, you know, we're going to. I, I thought I was going to do this once, but now you realize, like, okay, we're doing this again. So, just in a couple of minutes, talk about what you think is coming, how you think this will evolve, and where you might see it going next. Knowing that it will probably change, but where do you feel right now? First of all. It is a defining cultural centerpiece. And so there's going to be people in our world who they just want to do their Google ads or their TikTok ads or their Facebook ads. And they want to, you know, get people signing up on their email list and buying their stuff and away they go. And, and that's, that's fantastic. And there's going to be a, a majority of people are, are going to be. We, those kind of people. we love those people and we yeah. want them to learn from us. <laughs> right. Because right. we're ethical and fundamental and we're going to teach them lasting things. So we love those people and want them around us. Right. Right. And also, let's be really clear about something. If you're struggling to keep your head above water and you just hung out your shingle and you got your little business and your kitchen table or your garage or whatever, that's the stuff you need. And you're in no position to save the world, and you shouldn't even tell yourself that you are. You are trying to make your $600 car payment and your uh, $1,700 mortgage payment and get, and get groceries on the table. And you should do that, and that is a very worthwhile thing, and you should. And we are always going to be providing you know, knowledge yeah. to that person. But here's where it kind of all ties together. I struggled with the entrepreneurial journey really hard for most of 10 years and had very little to show for it for most of that time. Like I'm making a couple hundred bucks a month, but I'm actually like losing a lot more than that and just yeah. floundering desperately. And I wanted, I wanted to own a business so bad. I want to deal with the terms my own uh, with the world on my own terms so bad. I, I wanted to not be in the Dilbert cube. I needed to not have somebody jerking my chain. I was just desperate, like oxygen for that. Then I hung out my shingle and then I'm actually making an adequate living, paying my bills and oh my goodness, like I get out of bed when I want to get to bed and I go to work and it's great. And the life of a freelancer. And that was great couple years later, I started making a pretty decent income and I could do what I wanted to do and I could go where I wanted to go. I wasn't super rich, but I was just well off. Mm -hmm. And I noticed something that it kind of surprised me a little. And it was, Harry, you arrived. Yay. Celebrate. That's great. And I had a, you know, a couple of years of kind of celebrating that, but I got to the point where it's like, and look around you, 
The world has all the same problems it had back when you were fighting for your life. And you're not going to be fat and happy and content and sitting on a lawn chair eating bonbons on the beach until some of these problems get solved. You're not going to be able to be content with, okay, I'm good and F everybody else. No, like you got to roll up your sleeves and start molding the world to become a better place. In the space of a couple of years, my whole orientation started turning towards, I mean, this was exactly when I started taking on these much larger questions. And so what this is as a cultural centerpiece is that there are levels of graduating to higher and higher awareness of shaping the world in really meaningful ways and solving the most intractable problems that everybody considers not solvable. I want to remind you of something. You realize 150 years ago, most people went to bed hungry everywhere in the world. And now too many people are fat. Do you realize that people going to bed hungry was a wicked problem for which no clear solution was available? And we could go back to ancient history and we could make a whole list of those things and go, well, we solved that, we solved that, we solved that. So now we have new ones. And you know what? People are going to solve the wicked problems. And, and we're going to create we, that space. We are going to create the space where people can do that. That's amazing. Well, Perry, it's been amazing. Time flew by as it always does. Uh, we appreciate it. Always <laughs> we always have a good time, man. So... Love you, appreciate you, and those listening, we love and appreciate you. We thank you for listening in, and uh, we can't wait to share more about where this goes, and uh, I think you definitely need to keep your ears open. So we'll see you next time. Take care. Until next time, this is the Evolution 2.0 podcast, bridging science, technology, business, and the big questions. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes or on your preferred player. If you like the show, rate us on iTunes. Join our email list and social media at CosmicFingerprints.com.